For another uh, two, maybe three months, um, Ginny and I live near the end of the road. Uh, to get to our house, you can you need to drive past road closed signs uh, and around barricades that are actually in the road. They're not just on the side of the road. Uh, the uh, road closed ahead signs start before you get to the barricades. But as you're driving along, you, if you approach our house coming from the east along Bass Road, uh, you'll drive past some of the signs that say road closed ahead, road closed ahead, and then you have to drive around four different sets of barricades that are actually set in the road at various places along the way. They start at Thomas Road and they just continue on down the road and you have to drive around them if you want to get to our house until or our, our addition there until you get to the spot as you're driving down Bass Road where the barricades are almost completely across the road. The only opening is on the side for the construction workers and the few less fortunate people than us who live in the midst of the construction zone. Uh, and that's uh, really about the only way you can get there now. If you come from the west on Bass Road... You can't get through at all because uh, when you hit the railroad tracks just before our addition, part of the road is missing. And unless you have zero respect for your vehicle, and, uh, and still you may not be able to make it through there because you not only have to go through where the road is missing, you have to go over the railroad tracks that don't yet have the road. And uh, so it, it's a little bit challenging. And same thing if you come north or from the south, come up head, head north on Hadley Road, it's the same thing. Uh, and if you come in along Yellow River Road, then you are going to also run into barricades. Now, I did find out yesterday, Jenny and I were driving, and you know my, some of you know my penchant with signs when it says don't do this. Um, <laughs> I drove around the barricades, and... Um, you can actually make it through as long as they're not working on the road. If the construction workers are out there, you're out of luck. But, you know, when they're not out there, um, you can kind of get through from Yellow River Road. But one of the interesting things as you drive along, when you're coming in from from the uh, the west and you're, you're heading toward our addition, the barricades there uh, start, oh, I think it's a mile or two miles before the uh, road actually ceases. And when you're coming in on Yellow River Road, there's barricades there. And on, on the barricades are the are the very proper road closed signs. They're big, they're large, you know, they're, you, you can't miss them. But then also there are smaller signs, handwritten signs that are that are attached to the barricades there. And uh, some of them say, no outlet, no turnaround. And the guy, I'm assuming it's the guy who put up the no turnaround signs, uh, some of them who also barricaded their driveways because if you happen to ignore their warnings ahead of time uh, and you come down there, they don't want you to turn around in, in, in their driveway. Uh, but, the, you know, then the, one of the ones I really enjoyed was, this is your last warning. <laughs> it says, the road is really closed. And that's when you're coming in, uh, you know, west from uh, the, the west side of Bass there. And um, I, I assume those signs were put up by people who live along there and are either they're either really irritated by those who ignore the signs and go around them, or they're 
trying to be helpful. I mean, it could be that they're actually trying to be helpful. And um, somebody was coming to our house, and they said, oh, I thought you said that you couldn't come now. So they came from the West, and he said, and he said, there's this sign there that says, really, this is your last warning. He says, I kept driving. He says, I should have paid attention to the sign. I couldn't get, and he had to go all the way around. We had, so, um, my nephew was coming over, and he came to the first barricade, and he thought, I, I, I shouldn't go there. And his wife said, he said, keep going. And so he goes around that, and they get to the second one. I don't know. He said, he said keep going. And they get to the, the, the third one, and at the third one, the new cement starts. He says, I'm not driving on there. She says, he said, keep going. You know. And uh, so anyway, they, they eventually made it there. Um, today, what we're going to do, we're going to be reminded that people need to know what's ahead. They need to know what's ahead. God has made that very clear in his word. Let's pray. We're going, to, we're going to turn to a passage in Matthew in a minute. Father, thank you for those who came along and, and told us about what was ahead to a point. Well, all, all of us who are gathered here, whether some of us have a relationship with you, some of us may not yet, but we're here because somebody told us somewhere along the line about you and who you are, and, and we needed to find out more. We still need to find out more, even those of us who know you. We still need to find out more. We still need to be not only enlightened, but also reminded in many cases of what it is that you have called us to do and to be in those kind of people. So teach us from your word today as we look into it. Your word is powerful. Your word is effective. And really that, that's what, what, what matters here and what makes the difference. Uh, so guide whatever I might say that it would be something that would come from, uh, from you and from your word and your truth and it will draw us into your word, uh, and help us to understand and, and see what a difference that makes in our life for you and for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 10. If you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 10. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's page uh, 894, page 894 in the Pew Bible. Um, and as we're, as we're looking at that, a few weeks ago, we were looking in Mark chapter 6. And uh, in Mark chapter 6, it's where Jesus returned to his hometown. And he wasn't terribly well received in his hometown. And as we looked at that passage, uh, we briefly touched on what followed there in Matthew 6, uh, excuse me, of uh, Mark 6, of Jesus sending his, his people out to tell, his disciples to tell people about the kingdom. Now that's the same event we're going to look at today in Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus sends his his disciples out. Uh, we're going to look at it a, a bit more in depth. We're going to look at Matthew's viewpoint on the on this event of what happened there today. Now, God led Matthew to re, to record his gospel in a way that would best appeal to Jewish audiences, which I find kind of interesting, particularly in our Sunday school class. And we were talking this morning, and we were reminded Matthew, being a tax collector. Um, the Jews weren't real fond of him because he was a tax collector for the Roman government. So that he had a special call on his life, if you will, to the Jewish people. So he wrote, he wrote his gospel account in a way that would appeal very highly to Jewish people. You'll see that a little bit as we move through these verses today. But God also led him to organize his the the events in a way that would highlight certain themes as he moved through the material about Jesus and how Jesus engaged people. And I think you'll see that today as well. Begin with verse 1 with me. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. It says, Summoning his 12 disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. 
First Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Verse 5, Jesus sent out these 12 after giving them instructions. Don't take the road leading to the other nations and don't enter any Samaritan town. Instead, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, announce this. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with skin diseases, drive out demons. You have received free of charge. Give free of charge. Don't take a long gold, silver, or copper for your money belts. Don't take a traveling bag for the road or an extra shirt, sandals, or a walking stick, for the worker is worthy of his food. When you enter any town or village, find out who is worthy and stay there until you leave. Greet a household when you enter it, and if a household is worthy, let your peace stay on it. But if it is unworthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. I assure you it will be more tolerable for on that day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Look, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as harmless as doves. Now, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna stop there today, and you know, but let's pull a few observations out of the text as we move along and then see how those apply to our lives as we, as we look at what God's called us to and we think about engaging other people. You'll notice the group of 12 referred here that, to our first referred to as disciples in the very first verse, refers to as Jesus' 12 disciples. Now, a disciple is very simply a learner. That's what a disciple is, one who learned by following and attaching themselves to a particular teacher. Moses had disciples, John the Baptist had disciples, Jesus had disciples. Now, you know, we sometimes only think of Jesus as the only one having disciples, but a disciple was, Pharisees had disciples, a disciple was simply a learner who attached themselves to a particular teacher. Now, those of us who have a relationship, those of us who have a commitment, a relationship with Christ, we are his disciples. We are seeking to learn from him. This is what he's called us to be. This is what he's called us to make, to make disciples, to make those who are learners. We are to be learners, learning from him. You know, those who are, who aren't seeking, you know, those who aren't seeking to learn most likely don't have the commitment they think they have and they're on dangerous ground. Faith in Jesus is more than just saying a few words and thinking that we've made it and then going off and living our own way. Faith in Jesus is very clear in Scripture, is a life-transforming belief and commitment to him. It touches us. It has an effect. If all it is is a mental agreement, we're on very dangerous ground. Scripture is pretty clear. The devil believes and trembles. He has that head knowledge, but there is no commitment. There is no life 
changing transformation. There is nothing that touches and affects the life, which is what he calls us to here, which is what, what being a learner is part of, you know. Relationship and response cannot be separated. They can't, you know, they, they can't be separated. It's a new life, new living. We went to a wedding reception last night and a young couple that got married entered into a new life which affects then the way they live with each other and towards others. When we come to Christ and we have a relationship with him, it affects the way we live with him and the way we live toward others. It's an ongoing thing. Yeah, it, it, it just, just, it, in fact, marriage is one of the, one of the illustrations that the Bible often uses to talk about uh, the relationship between Christ and His people. And so what we're talking about here, you know, is, as He refers to Him as a disciple, it's a learner, someone with that commitment, and there's a life change going on here. And Jesus gives these 12 men His authority uh, to do ministry that they had seen Him do. You know, they, he gives them that authority. Now, you know, while it was a very specific incident, it was really a foretaste of what was to come and what Jesus later did for all his followers. Uh, one of, you know, the, the passage that Bill referred to today, you know, in Matthew 28, he says, Jesus then came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Go there, make these learners of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Teach them to observe. Teach them a new, a, a, a new basis for living their life, a, a, new, a new foundation on which to stand, a new way in which to go through life, a new way in which to live out life. Do this, he says. You know, that's that new living, that new life. And, you know, and he tells them there, all authority has been given to me, so go. Go on that authority that has been given to me. You go on that authority, he says, and you make these disciples. You make these learners. Teach them. Teach them to be learners. Teach them to be, you know, teach them to, to have, have that life change, that, that observing everything. Teach them that this life change, that, that what we're talking about is, is new life, which is new living. And he say, says, I'm with you, you know, to the very end of the age. We have, we have this, not only was it given to the disciples here in Matthew chapter 10, it was also given to us, as you see in, in, in Matthew 28. We have the authority of Jesus to minister from. We have all of those, all of those who are his disciples have that goal. He says, in my, all authority has been given to me. Because of that authority, you go. When you were a kid, if you had siblings, you said or heard the phrase, Mom said, or dad said, followed by something. What were you doing? You were do, going, and what you were telling them is, on the authority of who mom is, and I, or on the authority of who dad is, this is what's to happen. We have that privilege, we have that honor of saying, in the authority of Jesus, based on what Jesus says, this is what life is to be. This is what he's telling us. You know, that, that, that's come there. And notice he says, to the end of the age, that includes us. To the end of the age. 
Now, in verse 2, Matthew then refers to the 12 as apostles. The apostles are the sent ones. And this is one of, there's not a lot of places in the Bible where all 12 are listed. You know, there's really just a handful of places where the 12 apostles are listed together. You know, and we look at this and we think of the apostles as these special guys. You know, in one sense they were, but you know what? Who did Jesus pick? Twelve ordinary guys to do the ministry. He didn't choose educated men. Remember in the book of Acts, the fourth chapter says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were ordinary people. Didn't have this big formal education. We look at them and we think of them as so much different than us. And God is trying to tell us they're not different from you if you've encountered Christ. That's the difference. There's the difference. Because notice it says they took note. They were astonished. Took note that what? These men had been with Jesus. The life transformation that Jesus brought into their life. Is what stood out. And you know, it's the same thing for Jesus is still looking for ordinary people. And he is looking for ordinary people who will do the same thing of those, of those 12 that we always think of as so much different than us. And he is looking for 12, he is looking for ordinary people who will live out their commitment to him. Ordinary people living out life extraordinarily for him. If you live out your life, if you live out your life for Jesus in this world, you will be living out, you will be living out your life extraordinarily for Him. You will be doing that. Make your relationship with Jesus clear. Make it very clear. A growing, transforming obedience to Him. And that will be clear. That people will notice and take note that you have been with Jesus. Now Jesus sends these guys out. With very specific instructions not to go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans. Notice he says, but only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel is what he says. The instructions that he gives them here in chapter 10. Now again, he expands that in chapter 28. But here in chapter 10, he gives them just those those narrow bands, if you will. And, and as we saw earlier, you know, Jesus expands that, you know, to... To all of the people as he prepares to leave, but here he narrows it down. He's focused on those who were called the people of Israel first, those who were called his people. Israel, if you recall this summer when we were looking at Jacob's life stuff, Israel, he struggles with God. Don't we see that struggle? Don't we see them struggling with God throughout the whole Bible? And this is what we see. We see them struggling with God. And he sends them to those that he made this promise to. And as they're struggling with God, help them with their struggle. Help them to understand. He doesn't narrow our focus only to that. Because again, he expands it to the whole world. But he starts them out with those who already had an inkling of God. Those to whom God wasn't wasn't quite as foreign as he is to some others. When I grew up, in our history book, I went to a public school. 
I was not raised, I was, you know, I didn't become a Christian. I didn't, I didn't come into a relationship with Christ until I was an adult, until uh, Ginny and I had already been married. But when I was in elementary school, I can remember in my history book that we had in our public school, Franklin Public School, you know, in Dalton, Illinois, built in 1901. Shoo, we and it's still there being used. But anyway, um, it wasn't 1901 I was there. Thanks for picking up on that. Uh, but anyway, the, uh, uh, in our history book, there was in one of the chapters information about Jesus Christ and who he was. All the kids, all the kids, all the kids in that class heard about Jesus Christ. Why? Because it was in our history book. You won't see that anymore. You won't see that anymore. And you will run across some people now. You will run across some people now who really don't know who he is. One of my, one of, one of our nieces, um, has chosen to raise her kids with no knowledge of God. Uh, intentionally. She doesn't want people praying in front of them. When they spend when uh, they spend a night with their grandmother, my sister, uh, my sister and and her daughter live about an hour and twenty minutes apart. Uh, they make sure because my sister goes to church every Sunday. They make sure that one of them is there to pick up my great nieces and nephews before they go to church because they don't want them to know anything about God. They're not the only ones. They are not the only ones who have divorced God and taken God out of their life and out of the picture you know, so t- today, you know, you will have, we will have those people, some of whom know about Jesus and have an introduction and have a knowledge that there's this guy named Jesus and others won't have a clue who he is. He sends them first to these people who had some religious inkling. None of the Israelites would have considered themselves lost. They wouldn't have thought of themselves as lost. They were chosen by God. They were God's chosen. You know, and they wouldn't have thought of themselves as lost. Jesus says, go to the lost sheep of us. There's a huge difference between a religion and a relationship. And you will run into people today who think they're fine because they go to church somewhere. They will think they're fine, you know, because they believe that God is real. But they don't really know him. I knew about Jesus Growing up, I knew about him, but I didn't understand what a relationship with him really was. I needed to know Jesus, not just know about Jesus. I needed to know him. I needed to come into that relationship of who he is. Not, not, not just, not, not just practicing a religion. There's a huge difference between a religion and a relationship. I needed to move from religion into a relationship with him. The Jewish people here, they were looking for a Messiah. They had a religion. They were looking for a Messiah, but they didn't see him. They didn't see him, so they were still lost. And that mattered to Jesus. Jesus said, they still don't know me. Go to the lost sheep of it. It should matter to us. It should matter to us that some people, even religious people, don't know Jesus as Savior. That should matter to us. 
They have a religion, but they don't have a relationship. They don't have that relationship with him yet. They don't know him you know, like, like we know him. They don't have that there. Look at verse 7. Verse 7, he says, as you go, as you go, announce this, the kingdom of heaven is near. You know, as, as, you know, when you're going, as you go, as you go, tell people, you know, tell people about Jesus as you go, you know, let them know people need to know. It's the same call he gives us, you know, in Matthew 28, what we looked at as you go, make disciples where you, wherever it is you're going. You know, you, you make disciples wherever it is you go. As you go, announce this. Wherever it is you're going, announce this. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Let them know. Jesus told them to engage people. And to engage people, he says, in the same way that he had seen them, in, that they had seen him engaging people. They saw him engaging people, and he says, engage them, you know, just as you saw me do. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with skin diseases, drive out demons. Now we can look at that and we say, well, I can't do any of those things. What was Jesus doing? Jesus was responding to the needs he saw in front of him. He was responding to the needs he saw in front of him. We can respond to the needs we see in front of them. Help them to see how Jesus can meet their needs. Help them to see how, you know, there is an answer to the problems they're struggling with. Help them to see how there is a comforter. Help them to see how there is someone that they can go through life with. They don't have to go through life alone. Jesus didn't simply give them a list of things to do. He told them how to engage people and that he would be with them. And be you know, and help them, and, and to do what he called them to do. He reminded them. He said, "You received freely, so give freely. You received freely, so you know, help others to know freely. You have a relation. Those of you who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ because someone freely told you about Him." They freely told you about him, even though you didn't deserve salvation. Even though you didn't deserve it. So he had some people freely tell. Now, you tell others as well. Because people need to know. Now, Jesus told them, he said, told them to travel light on material goods. Verse 9 says, don't take along gold, silver, copper, your money belts. Don't take a traveling bag for the road or an extra shirt, sandals, walking stick, for the worker is worthy of his food. Now, if we had more time, we'd un- unpack that a little bit. Uh, you know, he's telling them not to collect things, a traveling bag, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, not to, not to, I was going to say be begging. Maybe that's not quite the word we want. Um, what he's telling them there, though, you know, is, is it, it, it would depend on, they needed to learn to depend on him, not their own provisions. You know, to depend on him. We, too, can depend on God to guide us. You know, he can guide us, and, and we know that he can guide us and that he will provide for us. Now, we do have to use discernment when we engage people. You know, we have to use discernment when we engage people, but where does that discernment come from? The discernment comes from God speaking to us, teaching us, guiding us, directing us. Know that God will show you who to slow down and talk to and to spend more time with. God will show you that. And God will also show you when you've said enough. That's the challenge for some of us. Sometimes it's time to shut up. You're trying to introduce them to God and let them know God and help them to see God more. We're not out to win an argument. Remember, 
We are not out to win an argument. We are not out to put people in their place. We're not trying to win an argument. We're not trying to put people in their place. We are simply trying to tell them about Jesus. Look at verse 16. Look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as harmless as doves. It won't always be easy, but we should always be kind. Why do I say that? Doves don't attack. Doves don't attack. You know, I always see somebody all beat up. What happened? Oh, doves, doves beat me up, man. The doves, they, just, they don't attack. You know, they just kind of, they, uh, we need, you know, we need to be kind. Now, we haven't really looked at the flow of Matthew here of why he wrote. You know, back up with, with, into chapter 9 with me, if you will. Uh, chapter 9, verse 35. If, if you close your Bible in the Pew Bible, page, you know, 894. But, you know, let's look at the flow here a little bit of, of what it is as Matthew's unfolding, unfolding uh, the events of Jesus' life. Verse 35, it says, Then Jesus went to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them, because they were weary and worn out, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Here's the thing about a harvest. The harvest will never be reaped unless there are reapers to reap it. The harvest will never be reaped unless there are reapers to go out there and to reap it, to bring it in. God wants people to hear the gospel. He wants people to hear the good news about Jesus Christ. But people will never hear, they will never hear about the good news about Jesus Christ unless those of us who know Jesus Christ engage them and tell them about Jesus. This is the responsibility he's given to us. If those of us who know Jesus don't go out and engage people who, who know, you know, who need to know about Jesus, you know, sometimes we pray for workers and we assume it will always be other people. Matthew tells us right after these verses, right after these verses to pray about workers, Matthew tells us Jesus sent out his disciples to engage the people with the kingdom. And in these first verses here of chapter 10, it reminds us that we, are to be part of the answer of praying for workers. God has people ready to hear about Jesus. He has people ready to hear about a relationship with him. What is needed is those of us who have a relationship with Christ to go out and tell others about the relationship with Jesus. And again, remember, we talked about this. You know, we've been talking about this you know, for a few weeks now. And it's not that... Uh, I have never had anyone fall down on their knees in front of me and say, you know, please, oh, preacher man, tell me more. You know, or, or please, you know, tell me how it is to come into a relationship with Christ. But you know what? God, how many times did I have to hear the gospel before I responded? It wasn't the first time. It was as God put other people in and other people in and other people in. Who planted? Who watered? Who, I don't know. 
God does. Pete and I were talking Tuesday and we were, you know, we were talking. And I was telling them about some of these people in my life. Some of them I don't even know their names. I told you, I, I told you last week, there was a guy at River Oaks Mall in Calumet City, Illinois and handing out, you know, he was, I don't know what he was handing out because I didn't take it. Uh, but you know, he was talking to people about Jesus and, I, but I remember this guy. A little nudge closer to God. Another little nudge closer to Jesus. We don't know what it is, but we, you know, we're part of that process. And what is needed is those of us with a relationship with Christ need to go out and tell other people about what it is about a relationship with Christ. There's a video I want you to watch here. It's by an atheist. I wouldn't always let you, I wouldn't always bring a video by an atheist for you to have, you know, to, to see on a Sunday. Uh, some of you are familiar with this guy. Uh, Penn Gillette is his name. He's part of Penn and Teller. Penn and Teller, they do a, a magician, a sleight of hand, a prestidigitator. Uh, uh, listen, listen to what he says. He's, a, he's an atheist. He's very clearly an atheist. And that will come across to you in this video as well. But listen to what he says about a man who engaged him. talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the, um, what I call the hover position, after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And um, he had been the um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we give those away. He had the you know, the joke book and the and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, that's uh, not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night, and he walked over to me and he said. Um, I was here last night at the show, and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted. He was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff, and then he said, "I brought this for you," and he handed me a uh, Gideon Pocket Edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me 
right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me. And then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. I'm struck by the line, how much do you have to hate someone to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to not tell them about Jesus? To my knowledge, you know, he's still never made a commitment to Christ. And did you notice he said, you know, I, I know there's no God, but... This guy made a difference in my life. Because somebody took the time to engage him. As I was working on this sermon and thinking about the verses and, and Jesus sending his disciples out right after telling them to pray for workers, God pointed out to me that I was overlooking the obvious. To engage people, you have to be intentional. To engage people, you have to do it. You have to actually open your mouth and talk to people about Jesus. Not just sit back and pray. You actually have to do it. How much do you have to hate someone to not do it? How much do you have to hate someone to not tell them about Jesus? People need to know about Jesus. And we need to tell them. 
it may not be the one where they give that commitment to Christ then, but it may be the one to where they say, you know what, I just was, I don't believe in God at all, but I remember this guy who did know Jesus and he made a difference in my life. Engage people. Engage them. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about who he is and what he's done. Let's pray.